Investors Chronicle. Welcome to the Companies and Markets show. It's Thursday, the 18th of January, as we record. Blue Monday is behind us. It's all plain sailing for 2024 from now on. On that positive note, we've decided today is the day to discuss emerging markets, beaten up, dragged down, generally having a miserable time of it in recent years. Are things now looking up or is this another false dawn? We are going to discuss that question through the prism of asset manager Ashmore, which put out a trading update the other day. And then we're going to pivot slightly to our cover feature this week, which looks at an emerging market, but a relatively rare success story in terms of market returns and economic performance, at least. That's India. Then we return to these shores to discuss another trading update from ready meal supplier Bacavore. And we finish with a brief look at Ceres Power as well. Joining me to discuss all of this, all in the studio this week, are Mark Robinson. Hi, Adam. Hi, Mark. Julian Hoffman here with us. Yeah, for a change. Indeed. Alex Hamer also here. Hi, Alex. G'day. So we'll begin with Ashmore and with you, Julian. The trading update. Emerging markets, as we've said, have had a terrible time recently. Last year wasn't really much better. But with the expectation or the hope of interest rate cuts coming in a number of countries, not least the US, things may be looking up. Yeah, I think you're right, Dan. Um, Ashmore's had an interesting quarter. The shares have performed quite well, actually. They're up about 25% over the past few months. And that's directly linked to the strength of the dollar. Ashmore is really one story, and that's always uh, you know, how in favour the dollar is. When the dollar goes up, that's uh, emerging markets tend to go uh, down. And when the dollar goes down, the t- emerging markets tend to go up. In particular, the trading update was quite interesting in that uh, Ashmore's fixed income and equities are both growing at the same time. Um, The market uh, shows quite good investment returns in those respects, and that helped to offset actually what was actually another quarter of outflows, which uh, tended to get lost a bit in their trading update. But um, the outflows were still minus 1.6 billion. But the reason why people were sanguine about that was because it represents a slowdown from what they'd seen throughout most of uh, 2023. And uh, it inevitably begs the question whether uh, Ashmore, which is a kind of analogue for the whole um, emerging market sector, uh, could be uh, emerging itself from uh, a long winter. And uh, uh, what this says about uh, the nature of the markets they operate in. And uh, it's... it's it, Inevitably, a, a Marmite share as well. I mean, people either like it or, or they don't like it, um, but you can't ignore it because it's such a large and um, significant player in that in that market space that uh, whatever their performance is, you've got to take note of it, really. Mm. Yeah, there is this lag, isn't there, in terms of its own underlying performance insofar as the share price has been bid up on the expectation that flows will improve for emerging markets and these results suggest they're at least not as bad as they were. The question is whether they'll be able to deliver on that. We, Ashmore is a uh, fixed income fund manager principally. So uh, I suppose in some ways slightly different because it's not just focused on the fortunes of the emerging market equity index. That said, the fixed income asset class tends, emerging market debt tends to track quite closely. Yeah, absolutely. You, I mean, but it's also such a vast part of the portfolio. So they have like, 54 billion under management, but mm. 44 billion of that is all in uh, emerging market debt and fixed income uh, securities. In a way, the the performance of equities in that context doesn't matter as much uh, to them 
Um, I mean, the popularity of the debt is really just down to the fact that it's now quite reasonably priced mm. in comparison to the dollar, and people in those circumstances tend to broaden out their portfolios and then buy that uh, that, that kind of asset class. So it, it, inevitably, it, it helps them. But I mean, I would say that they're the the difference between what people expect and what actually Ashmore achieves is always a quarter mm. lagging. Um, so we won't really know how well the company itself is doing until we get through the second quarter of the year or you know, go through the, the first and second quarter of the year. And somewhere around June, we'll have a better idea of, of whether they're going to be more profitable, whether that's a sign that the, the current rating of 21 times at the moment, but has been 30 times in the past, mm. uh, whether that current rating uh, in relation to its historic rating is, is actually a value proposition or... Um, as you say, it's just a, a result of the swing and the swings that um, you see in that market. Yeah, I, I was looking this morning at EM debt and the outflows, even in the past 18 months, because despite the, the high yields on offer due to the low prices, they haven't really been attracting anyone for a while. And, and one analyst estimated across the entire market that $100 billion has gone out of the asset class just since the start of 2022, which is about 20% of the entire asset class, so an incredible outflow. And, and you know, clearly, that raises the question of when it will reverse. That said, when we look at the catalyst this year, clearly those rate cut expectations, the the hope of a, a weaker dollar are paramount. Do we need those for Ashmore to do well this year? Does Ashmore need those things? It probably does. Um, the other unknown factor is how China is going to end up at the end of the year. Um, there, there are some signs that they're getting on top of uh, a few of the structural crises that they've had over the past year, but um, so much of emerging market debt, particularly in you know everything that's clustered around East Asia, depends on what China is doing. Um, so it, it is it is interest rates, but it's also the performance of that big economy that mm. will determine it. And both of those questions are really pushed back until the later part of the second half. Now, I think um, depending on on what happens with the next inflation reports. But uh, the recent ones haven't been particularly uh, positive about um, uh, you know, precipitating uh, interest rate cuts. Mm. Yeah, we have had a, a bit of a row back this week, haven't we? Yeah, the, the, the only point I'd make about this as well, and I'm not quite sure that it's all that relevant at the moment, is that the proportion of uh, US-denominated debt in Asia has been steadily falling. Uh, capital markets over there are sort of providing a, a greater share but I mean, in in terms of uh, how it influenced the the share price and the performance of Ashmore, I, I I don't imagine that's significant at this point. But it's worth keeping in mind as we go forward. Yeah, well, Ashmore does have a lot of local currency debt as well, and and both U.S. denominated and local currency EM debt, we should say, is is less focused on Asia than the equities. So, despite uh, I'm sure China will have a big influence on the share price, and you know we can come to India in a minute, but a lot of Emerging market debt is still focused on Latin America, where you know the rate cut cycle there has already begun in uh, in Brazil and may begin in Mexico too. So there are some some positives there as well. Uh, not in Argentina. No, well, I mean Argentina is a uh, a different story as we, it's always we, been the we case. Cry, we cry for Argentina on this podcast. Uh, you've uh, you've thrown me there, but you're right. The other thing to say with the dollar, I suppose, with Ashmore, is, even though it is to some extent reliant on the the weaker dollar, as you say, is that because of its reporting currency and uh, its assets are in sterling and the dollar respectively, in some ways, a stronger dollar is actually helpful in terms of reporting, but that is overshadowed by the underlying effect on the asset class and things like that. 
I think it probably balances yeah. out at the end of the day. They do get, uh, as you say, the profits can be boosted by that that uh, dollar conversion, but uh, uh, because it uh, because it weighs on their inflows, uh, they don't don't own the fees to match the the increase they get from from the interest rates uh, from the um, conversion rates. It, yeah, it's it, uh, it is a it's a it's a barometer share. I just you know you can't really put it any other way and and it's difficult for investors to play it as anything else really i don't think you would put it as a core holding or a you would you would want it as a diversification play at this mm. point i think i suppose the question is would it be a geared play on emerging markets perhaps so given the way the share price has, works. has yeah. moved yeah. uh so you know if you are backing that story this year maybe that's a so a more interesting way shall we say than uh, than an emerging market well, tracker yeah. but one for the uh, for the bold Let's come to the cover story this week, though, now, because that, as mentioned, is also on emerging markets, on India in particular, because India has done very well in recent years, as the occasional pocket of uh, emerging market complex has done. But India has really been the shining light in terms of market returns and investor interest. Alex, you've written the piece. Uh, Can you say a bit more about some of the, the things you look at there in terms of the prospects for the for the months ahead and also the economic prospects as well as market prospects. Yeah. Um, India has been featured a lot in the financial press recently. I think the combination of a strong economic growth or consistent economic growth compared to other emerging markets and good equity performances, you know, has turned a lot of heads in the past, you know, in the past few months. And there's a few reasons for this. I think not straying too far into politics, but I mean, with Modi in power now for almost a decade and, and huge reforms coming through, including things like the GST, a real push to get people into the, the, the financial system through through the opening of bank accounts, has kind of turned into a, a real change to in society that's now fed through to the the economy. And that means things like people pay more tax, so the government has more money and then spends that on infrastructure, which means... Indian companies earn more money by building that infrastructure. So it's kind of this, a few people use the phrase virtuous cycle when talking about uh, India over the last few years. And looking ahead, Modi's up for re-election and, you know, the the shift to a a slightly more, let's say, ethnically focused or, 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 you know, Hindu nationalist. The Hindu nationalist movement, uh, yeah, in in this phase. you know, and I don't really go into the the politics of it in the piece, but the likelihood is that that Modi comes back in, as shown by regional elections in December. And for the investor class, they are pretty excited about this. And you know, I think I think we've seen a few. We we kind of go through cycles in the in the EM space where you have countries, you know, rising through big government spending and then maybe favourable currency movements and, and they get a rush of, of outside interest. This is a bit different. This is this is probably a more fundamental shift um, in the country and, and how it operates. And, yeah, it was, it was interesting to dive in. My request for a, a month-long junket over there was was, was rudely denied, but um, was I that spoke for your to yoga interesting camp? people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, think, I think it's the case as well, isn't it, that it's often been said that... Uh, demographics uh, are falling India's way as well, especially uh, compared to China. Um, and it's a, an increasing middle class, a, a sort of a younger, well-educated, uh, um, technically focused uh, uh, economy as well. Yes, yes, you'll understand certainly. why a, 
why they sort of uh, is looked upon favorably now. Yeah, and I think uh, you know the f- through the the investment lens, a lot of that um, equity growth we've seen is driven by that middle class spending. You know, you look at sales of of Western luxury cars. You know, the 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 focus of even even huge conglomerates like Reliance on on middle class spending, um, and even the performance of companies like Nestle India, which is listed over there. Um, to see that that growth, it's also the biggest market for the novels of Jeffrey Archer. I read. Yeah, that well, I, I can't believe I left that out of the piece. If only we'd uh, we'd known. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, well, I think I think on the you know you mentioned um, Mark the 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 technological expertise or the tech expertise over there, and one really interesting thing is you know obviously you have these these huge numbers of engineering grads and, and, you know, this, this offshoring movement has developed these huge, I guess, numbers of, of really qualified people in the tech space. You actually have a lot more of a shift to not just, you know, developers and coders who are sitting in cheaper kind of data mashing centers. There's a lot more project and, and almost thought leadership, even within the tech giants that's based in India now as well, that speaks to what, you know the 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 high level of of tech development there. It's interesting too because although the economy uh, people tend to focus on the economy itself, the fact that the that's expanding at an accelerated rate, India's environmental conditions have improved markedly as well, uh, and that's um, partly due to more capital going out to the regions, but it's also linked, I believe, to the increased mechanisation in the agricultural sector getting away from old sort of uh, wasteful practices, particularly in relation to uh, water management and, uh, and areas like soil degradation as well. Yeah, yeah. well, I think, I think that, that's an interesting point because it still is a huge, I want to say user, you know, the water use in the agricultural landscape is still, is still massive compared to other farming nations. Um, and obviously India is at a different scale to anywhere in Europe or, you know, if you look at it more compared to Australia or the US in terms of farming, it water use is something they really need to, to look at further. I mean, even though there have been improvements. Um, and that's kind of the, you know, the risks ahead are it gets hotter, water gets harder to, to find. That means food supplies get more difficult. And, you know, there are solutions to these things, but they're expensive and that that is the path they're on. So, I mean, this is this is years and decades ahead but and it's not just india facing these challenges but it is kind of on the on the the leading edge of 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 those risks as well yeah in in the piece you you talk about the three three c's being the biggest risks being climate change corruption and uh conglomerates as well to varying degrees there are issues with with each of those as there are in, in in many countries but uh but maybe we'll save that save that for the piece. The the thing I yeah. wanted to come back to is the contrast with China because sometimes it is about perceptions as well. And obviously, as China's star is seen to to dim, India is increasingly being referenced by companies as the the prospect for the future as well. Uh, some of the companies you cover, yeah, for sure. The thing that turned me towards India a few months ago was was the BHP CEO Mike Henry really talking up the growth in their sales there, and it, it it's only a couple of percentage points, and it's. You know, for BHP China, it just dominates their their earnings statement. But India needs a lot more. Um, it's, I mean, it's it's more met coal as opposed to iron ore because India mines their own iron ore. But you know, with all this infrastructure that's being built out, they need raw materials. And and I think a shift in in growth, not not perhaps in absolute terms for for 
materials demand, but a, but a, a shift in where the growth is coming from is definitely it's definitely India. And I think and Rio Tinto pointed this out last month as well, where it's India and, and the ASEAN group, which includes Southeast Asian countries, that are really going to drive growth um, for them in the coming years. And you know the the reason people are turning to India is because China is is an interesting point where you know the choice for the government now is is keep pushing for that 6% or 5 6% gdp growth through massive stimulus and whether you know it's not just Xi Jinping sitting in in Beijing uh you know pushing a stimulus button this is this is you know it is also slightly decentralized where you have um regions and and states pushing their own stimulus but towards that gdp growth figure but as that you know slows a little bit and the government decides that it probably can't just throw billions and billions and billions um, into the real estate sector to, to drive that growth, then India provides potentially a more sustainable option. And it's because of those those factors we were just talking about. And so I talked a bit with um, uh, an equity specialist at Franklin Templeton about that growth looking ahead. And his, his point was that Modi will probably not keep spending as high as it has been, but what will change is that that will be taken up a bit by private players. Um, and I look a little bit, you know, you mentioned conglomerates, and I look a little bit at, at Adani and Reliance in the piece. And, and Reliance, for example, is going to provide the, will, will likely provide the majority of the, the renewable capacity that the government wants over the next few years. And this is tens of billions of dollars in, in investment that, that will come from them. And, you know, the, the government, government will feed into that, you know, potentially through power purchase agreements or, you know, they'll still be involved, but there is that that shift that, that will come along as well. well. Let's talk about how to access this story because buying the individual shares is not really an option for most people. So it is either a fund story or there are obviously companies with exposure to India. Can we talk a bit about that? And also maybe about Peter Hargreaves, the Hargreaves Lansdowne founder, who you spoke to for the piece because he is a bigger investor in India as well. Yeah, I think I mean starting with Mr. Hargreaves. So he he puts his India exposure as just behind the UK and US in terms of his significant holdings. And you know, I said, you know, tell us tell us about your investments in India. And he said, I I have my money in a in a trust that I can't tell you about because they can't promote themselves. So that was unfortunately a dead end for for IC readers. But you know, I did ask the question for the you know for the for the great unwashed. Um, there are public options. And just for the, the non-billionaires am- among us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know about, you know, everyone in this studio, but, uh, I don't think we have any billionaires on the, on the mag. The, so there's, there's trackers. So the, the cutely named Nifty 50 is one of the top indices, you know, similar to the FTSE 100, where you can track that with various, various options. I've listed the X trackers one, um, in the piece. There are alternatives as well. iShares does a broader tracker, which is um, MSCI India ETF. And that will just, you know, if you like the overall story and kind of want a, an easier option, that might be something to, to look at. And I think just a note on valuations, they are high. And the argument that that was made, you know, people I spoke to was that valuations are high, but earnings growth has not really been recognized yet. So, you know, if, if basically earnings are up 30%, share prices are up 20% and there's earnings growth that should continue. So, so basically these high valuations are still low considering the conditions was, was what, what people said to me. Um, 
and then outside the the trackers, there's 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 specialists. I think I think Ashoka is is quite an interesting option, which we highlighted in our top fifty funds piece last year, and it's actually it's it's not just a few people sitting around saying pointing at stocks. There's a kind of analyst teams who who pick out shares, and if they do well, they get paid more, which I quite like as a model. And they're 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 based in India, so you you do get some 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 ex London knowledge, which is always a good thing. Yeah, so I think, and there's a few more that, that I list as well. Um, you know, you, you're probably whichever way you go into India, you're probably going to own a few banks. You'll own, you know, you'll own Tata Consultancy, which everyone seems to love. And then the alternative for investing in India is to back UK listed companies that have exposure. And you know, there's two I mentioned in the piece: Hunting, which does oil and gas um, supplies. Their exposure to India is pretty minor to be honest um they just opened a factory there um and then if you want a bit more exposure something like unilever um is pushing hard in india once again it's a few percentage points of their um of their sales um but they're pushing hard into it there's a there's something if you want to you know go small cap there's something like sayeda um which makes electric motors and they are trying to sell. They've they've set up a factory in India and they're selling into the scooter um, market there, which is pretty large um, as a market. But yeah, I mean, I haven't I haven't put any, you know, these are not big buy recommendations. These are just options available if you like the India story. And then the companies themselves will have their own little issues, and um, you know, so I recommend you know looking looking into it yourself. Well, as we say, that is our cover story this week. So if this has piqued your interest, do pick up a copy of the magazine or have a look online. Now, though, we're going back to the world of trading updates. Back of all, Mark, the now FTSE 250 listed ready meal supplier, supplier to supermarkets, has just put out a set of figures. There's also been a bit of a corporate activity there in the past few days as well. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, uh, there was a change in terms of uh, the private equity, the relationship there with uh, Bellpost. Uh, They offloaded a 20% stake in the company uh, in favour of long-range capital. I mean, the the interesting point there is that uh, long-range get a a non-executive position on the board and and it goes to uh, Robert Berlin, who's actually served on the board previously. So the advantage there, of course, is that he knows the the business intimately. And so uh, the, the... the press release itself uh, didn't make clear exactly if there was going to be any change of focus there. That will probably become apparent in uh, in the months ahead. I, gu- I guess the main point of the update is it shows that uh, the various uh, reforms that are undertaken in November 2022 are actually having some positive effects now. They ranged across the board. I mean, the a lot of it was related to cost and trying to get down the leverage level, both of which have, have been successful. There's been an increase in um, uh, Chinese volumes as well, which was part of it. And there was a, a push to get more sort of re- regional focus too. Uh, overall, revenues, I think, were up by about five, just over 5% over the year. Underlying profits are um, forecast to hit the upper end of expectations or, or perhaps even exceed them all together. And the, the cost synergies are, are, have been positive too. So it was a, it was a broadly favourable update. Um, I wish I had a little bit more information on what was happening in terms of private equity. But as I say, that will probably become a little bit more obvious as we go forward.
Mm. It, uh, that is interesting because the, the the holder bow post who sold this 20% stake, I think they used to have 40% at the time of IPO a few years ago. I mean, it's not done great since IPO, but bringing in Mr. Berlin, who was there around that time or, or pre-IPO, I think as well, it was on the board, is maybe a sign of it. going back to first principles. Who knows? I mean, clearly that has sparked some share interest in the past few days. The company, as we say at the top, you know, it provides ready meals, pizzas, things like that. So fairly straightforward in terms of understanding what it does. It provides them to the big supermarkets. We discuss elsewhere this week, I think that, you know, that kind of in, you know, at home dining has uh, been pretty resilient, perhaps as people cut back on other things. But supermarkets as well have been making a decent fist, to put it euphemistically, of the uh, the cost of living crisis as far as they're concerned. How do we see back of all feeding into that? You know, if uh, cost inflation starts to fall, is that going to be a concern for them? If the supermarkets put pressure on their suppliers, you know, what do we see their prospects as? Uh, well, they're all already uh, operating under uh, sort of paper thin margins, which is to be expected, really, because uh, uh, you know uh, the market that they're selling into there. And they did actually didn't exactly warn, but they they highlighted the fact that uh, even though. Uh, trading has been pretty resilient. There are signs that uh, consumer sentiment in, in the UK uh, has deteriorated, and I think we can all uh, probably see that as well. And they said that because their uh, US operations are, are still uh, being rejigged, that may present some problems in the in the current trading year. So their expectations are that revenues will rise, but uh, only modestly. So um, you know, the outlook isn't uh, isn't exactly brimful of confidence. Mm. Equally, uh, you know, spitballing here, I suppose, but we have seen some problems with private label suppliers over the past couple of years because they've struggled to, to meet demand as people want to trade down to find something that's more affordable. But if you're an operation like Back of All and you can do it at, at scale, then that gives you a chance to grow your market share in that area, doesn't it? So maybe that can offset it as well. Final question about the company the valuation in the context of what we just said, is it up with events? How does it look? Um, it's uh, at the time of the half-year report, it was trading at um, about a 7% discount to net assets, and one imagines that hasn't altered significantly. Its, um, its forward rating is in line with uh, Premier Foods and Hilton Foods as well. So you would imagine that uh, it seems like uh, um, you know reasonably priced at this point too. But it's always worth looking at companies that are trading below net assets. Uh, and who knows, maybe that's uh, piqued the interest of uh, private equity. I think with uh, you know the balance sheet improvement, that, that change of ownership, and it's something to keep an eye on, isn't it? Certainly ahead of uh, the March results, which might provide a bit more detail, some more flesh on those bones. But let's conclude today with a quick look at uh, Ceres Power, because today, as I say, is the 18th of January, and there has been a... Quite a big surge in the shares off the back of uh, this uh, tie-up announced this morning, Alex. Uh, once again, that should be viewed in the context of the very, very bad run the shares have had since their, their peak in 2021. Uh, what can we say about this deal? And, and does it point the way to better times ahead? Or are people getting ahead of themselves? What do you think? The the run for Ceres has been difficult, partly because they were so inflated two years ago. And I think any company that gets its market cap over a billion pounds with revenue of 20 million pounds 
is is probably in for some kind of reckoning. I think if you go back and look at our reporting at the time, uh, I might not have recognised that as as brilliantly as I as I just put it. Um, but this this deal is is it's important. So so just for some context, this company makes it started off as a fuel cell developer. So you basically get electricity out of it. Lots of whiz bang technology in there. And then the company has also shifted to to manufacturing hydrogen electrolyzers, in which you put in water and electricity, and then you get hydrogen. And that hydrogen then can then be used in other manufacturing, energy storage, whatever you like. And the company has two has a few few ways of of making money. Um, it's licensing those technologies, and then looking after the 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 units once they're they're out in the world and it kind of it's it's sat around that twenty million pounds it took it took the revenue market it, it took a hit last year when it had to push some money into some sales into this year and and fell a bit further but all that being said they've signed this a big new deal with this Taiwan uh, large Taiwan company called Delta which will sell uh, Delta so license the technology to Delta and then Will they'll work together to to build a manufacturing facility or or add on capabilities for these fuel cells and electrolyzers at at Delta's existing plant um, in Taiwan, one of their plants in Taiwan, um, and it it is a it's a huge deal for 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 Ceres. It will help them rapidly get this technology into the world uh, once production is fully started in twenty twenty six. It you know, gives them a bit of credibility. I think. I think the 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 impact today was that the shares went up over forty percent uh, initially. That's that gain is is has dropped a little bit to to about thirty percent by now. Um, later in the day, but it should add. I think twenty. So it basically doubles their revenue this year. Um, once again, this is a you know the company's rated. It's about five hundred million pound market cap, and that will take their revenue to about forty million pounds. So even a you know bullish take on it from a from an analyst who, who who backs their shares to 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 rebound quite strongly you know calls it positive but also only resulting in minor changes to forecasts so it's you know it's it's a it's a good deal and, and there's potentially some more to come from series in the next few months they're, they've got a few um joint ventures running that, that could result in 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 similar tie-ups um but it's been seen as a, as a massive step by by the market uh i think i think once they've got that revenue booked we might have a better idea um and i i guess you know it might be clear from the way i'm talking about it but this is um yeah this is still not a uh, a shift towards profits well it's a shift it's a it's a it's a shift in that direction but um they're not there yet there's still some way off yeah yeah uh, and what about uh, the contrast or the comparison with ITM Power? Because the two do get lumped in together. Does this show that Ceres is further down the line, perhaps, or you know, is it? I think they 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 operate in the same spaces, but they they do have different business models. Where mm. where ITM uh, struggled because it was building uh, its own manufacturing facilities, and that that initial outlay you know, when things aren't going right, became a bit difficult for them to sustain. So they had to row back on their ambitions. But um, Ceres has a bit more of a, you know, they're farming out production and that CapEx, um, you know, what Delta is doing is bolting on capability to an existing factory, which which is obviously much cheaper and a much more efficient use of, of cash. Obviously, it means that Ceres doesn't, doesn't get to book all that 
you know, if just say this, this goes perfectly well and they build this, this facility and they, everyone wants their electrolyzers and fuel cells. It means they have to share some of that money, but you know, they didn't, they didn't kill themselves in, in getting this all up and running. So the, the models are a bit different, but I think this kind of thing, I don't know, it, it's tough because you still have these big valuations and very little money coming in, um, which is where they are. They do have similarities. Yeah. On that note, we have unfortunately run out of time. So thank you very much, Alex. Thank you to you as well, Mark, and to you, Julian, and to our producer, Maddie Apthorpe. We'll see you next time on another Companies and Markets show. Mm-hmm.